One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cyclists are sometimes accused of being sanctimonious. Our passion or pastime is, after all, healthy, eco-friendly, burns no fossil fuels, and doesn't require massive investment in infrastructure. But is cycling as green as it seems? How sustainable is the sport and the industry? Well, that's the theme of the upcoming edition of Ruler magazine, issue 114, the sustainability issue. Ruler editor, Ed Pickering is here. Ed, what prompted sustainability as an idea for the magazine? It's something that we, we talk about a lot in the in the Rouleau office and between ourselves, just just as because it's one of the big issues of the day. It's something that naturally comes up in conversation. Um, on a personal level, it's been more of a, a slow dawning over many, many years. I always consider myself to have been fairly environmentally conscious and my, you know, the part that cycling has always played in my life is 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 a big part of that as well. I've always felt that you know I when I when I lived in London, for example, I didn't even have a car. I just got around on bike. I've I've more or less eliminated short car journeys from my life here in Exeter, where I live now. I just go go by bike. I've always felt that I've I'm doing my bit as far as the environment is concerned by by not burning much petrol. I've I you know, I didn't even get a driving license till my mid thirties. So I feel I've always felt. Sancti- a little bit sanctimonious and smug as as you said but what's what's dawned on me over the last few years is that while cycling will be a big part of saving the world and is rightfully considered to be one of the best best things you can do on a personal level to help the environment the sport is is not it's not at all it's it's not green it's environmentally damaging it's it's huge it's a behemoth it, the, the sport moves thousands of people thousands of kilometers around Europe and the world and it's a contradiction that we have to address as a sport and I think it's one we've explored in this edition of Rouleau you know you've got to give credit to cycling for the many solutions and positive things that it presents but we also have to be conscious of the downsides and, and deal with them uh, now not not later. There's a striking picture in issue 114 from stage 10 of this year's Tour de France of the French police dragging away a climate change demonstrator who I think was protesting at the sort of huge cost in mileage, petrol pollution of staging the race. It's interesting, there wasn't really much sympathy, was there, from the riders or the race direction for that cause and that protest? I remember at the time I was, I was out in France, I mean, there was a, to be fair, there was a, 
there was a whole spectrum of reaction ranging from full support to you know cheering the police dragging them off the road so that that particular group of protesters that was that was stage 10 to Megev it was a group called uh, Dernière Renovation which is probably an equivalent of Insulate Britain who've been gluing themselves to motorways and um, blocking blocking motorways and Insulate Britain's message which I don't think anybody can disagree with I, I think their message is absolutely correct and reasonable in fact that insulate britain want us to insulate our houses so we use a lot so we're more efficient use a lot less in the way of fossil fuels and and modernize the way we heat our homes it's it's a sensible rational you know thing to do no no one can disagree with that some people disagree with their methods i i I happen not to I, i i think that they are drawing attention to the cause if they don't draw attention to themselves they're not going to get attention to the cause the french group the near renovation they're kind of an equivalent asking for the french government to um renovate all houses to make them insulated and again you you can't you can't argue with it it's such a sensible rational thing to say that i can't believe anyone would argue against it and i don't think we should give much time to people who do on the other hand people did object to them stopping the Tour de France and that's where the argument does get more nuanced because personally speaking I'm you know I, I agree with their message and I agree with their right to protest and to draw attention to that very important message and I felt that the disruption was not a big deal in the grand scheme of things the the tour actually did a good job in terms of stopping the break and stopping the bunch and doing the timings and they were prepared for it and the heavy-handedness with which the protesters were treated and the cheerlead in in certain parts of the sport and the media I was less comfortable with I felt that what are you, what are you arguing for I mean is is finishing today's stage of the Tour de France and getting the times all right more important than these big issues I I personally fell on the side of thinking good on the protesters and they're bringing a very very important issue to our attention. There doesn't seem to be any genuine wish to get rid of the caravan on the part of the organisers, does there? That's the huge uh, procession of vehicles representing various sponsors, which goes in front of every stage, throwing things at the spectators, frequently kind of plastic and you know, disposable objects at the spectators. No, that, that doesn't. It, it brings in a lot of money, therefore it stays, is the, is the logic. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm saying that's, that's, that's their thought process about it. No, the publicity caravan is objectively, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to say it, it, it's colourful and looks fun, objectively speaking rationally speaking you'd have to say it's not a positive thing for the environment at all it's dozens of vehicles driving around france um i do not think they look like the most fuel efficient and economical vehicles to drive and they are throwing out plastic tat which you know the the, the estimates are this this kind of stuff takes around 500 years to 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 biodegrade and they're just throwing out useless tat which is rubbish yeah i i think that sadly is one of the things that's going to have to go um there's there's no other way way for it and i I know it brings in a lot of money to the tour de france but we have to start looking at solutions to these big problems and i i 
I just don't think you can justify that kind of behaviour in this day and age. And of course, it's not just the motorised backup and the travel in cycle sport. It's, it's all the manufacturing, the throwaway nature of some of that manufacturing, artificial fibres and materials in clothing, etc., etc. What's the story there, generally? Is cycling waking up to that, do you think? Yeah, the industry as a whole is. This is one of the most interesting things about this edition of the MAG. I, I learned a lot um, through putting it together. So the, the cycling clothing industry is in a, in a tricky place as far as green credentials go because their business model generally operates on selling stuff. Um, the, the cycling industry as a whole, it's not just clothing, it's bikes as well. You know, the, the, the old joke is that the ideal number of bikes for any cyclist to own is N plus one, where N is the number of bikes in your garage and you know add one to that because that's the ideal number of bikes. You always want one more. And, you know... People buy the latest shoes, the latest helmets, the latest sunglasses, the latest, latest kit, latest bits and bobs for the bike. And that's inherently um, on precarious ground as far as the environment goes. The ideal scenario is to wear something out and for that item to be hard wearing and durable and to last many years. You know, that's what sustainability means. Um, so the cycling clothing industry is making kind of belated steps i mean some companies have been ahead of the curve on this other other companies are kind of not doing much and others are waking up to it and some some are doing great work we've got um uh you know Velocio, which uh we covered in this in this month's mag um they part of their ethos from the very start when they set up um a bit, a bit less a bit less than 10 years ago is that the environment is the sustainability and making their their gear fit to last is part of their proposition and they i kind of i think they've realized that it's actually great marketing to build a relationship with your your users when where whereby they you know they they love and wear your garments for a long time and they wear they they don't wear out they last a long time and that way you don't need to keep replacing them or buying buying the latest stuff and that that's great marketing in itself because people are much more conscious about these things um, companies like Isidore, which is set up by Martin Vellets, who we've interviewed in, or the Vellets twins, we interviewed Martin Vellets in this month's mag. Isidore have been using recycled fibres to to create 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 their jerseys. So there there is there are positive steps. A long way still to go. We've got to because when you think about all this stuff that the cycling industry makes, you know there there are so many different steps in the manufacture and sale like that. The company orders in the raw materials and that has to be delivered to the company. So that's one hit in the environment. Then they make it and that, you know, that takes energy. Um, I think Velocio's manufacturing partner initially have got solar panels. You, so they got they create 80% of their own energy. So another positive step there. But, you know, energy goes into the manufacture of these goods. Then they get shipped to the consumer. And finally, there is the cost of recycling or disposal so you've got you know four separate steps each of which is environmentally degrading um in just a, a jersey we've got to start thinking about this kind of stuff and that's it was a real education to me but it wasn't all doom and gloom like companies are starting to wake up to this and take very positive steps about it well the other thing that uh, ruler is preparing for at the moment of course is ruler live um the third to fifth of november in london different venue this year um looking forward to it though yeah absolutely it's going to be my my first my first experience of of ruler live got um got lots of exciting guests in the works we're just um working out 
the order of play booking in our, our you know cyclists who's going to be um, showing bikes and gear there um, presenters hosts other guests I love the sound of it, it it sounds like it's going to be basically a, a a big room of people all of whom are passionate about this sport that we all love um, talking shop but also just talk talking talking about cycling and in, enjoying each other's experience of the sport and it I've heard it's for me as a, a journalist this is very exciting it's, it's the, the the best cycling gossip bar none will be at, at Rulo Live and I fully intend to tap into it um, contribute to it um, swap stories and also it's going to be a great chance for me to, to meet readers. I, I don't get to meet many readers. I, I hear from some on social media, some email me at the mag, but I, I, I love talking to readers about, you know, about the magazine, about the sport, you know, about what they want to read about, about why they, why they love cycling. Cause it, it helps me learn more about how to do my job. And I, I, I love hearing ideas and feedback from readers. So, you know, if anyone's listening to this and is interested in going, I will be there. I will be, available for chin wags and chats and gossip buying drinks for you you buy me a drink you know what, what, what however that goes but you know just just having a good chat with um people who are passionate about the same kinds of stuff as i am it's gonna be fantastic so go to ruler.cc to book your tickets for ruler live and also to subscribe to the magazine if you don't already i'm going to be speaking shortly to cycling and formula one journalist laura winter about netflix's attempt to bring some of the drive to survive glamour to bike racing You're listening to Ruler Conversations. Now, you don't need to be a fan of Formula One to have been caught up in Drive to Survive, the Netflix series which has made household names of even some of the less well-known drivers on the grid. The mix of high-speed racing, behind-the-scenes drama and big personalities has made the programmes amongst the most successful global series in recent years. Well, now the same team are producing a similar series on cycling, specifically this year's Tour de France. Will they work the same magic with our sport? Well, one person who is uniquely placed to tell us is Laura Winter, cycling journalist and Formula One presenter, who's written about the series in the latest edition of Rouleur. Laura, um, you cover two very different sports, but presumably when you started doing Formula One, there were some similarities. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's still elite sport, isn't it, at the end of the day? And there are still a number of elite sports people who want to win the biggest prize of all in sport, whether it be at a world championship, be it their first race, be it the Grand Tour, the, the parallels can be drawn and the two worlds sort of merge quite well. And often a lot of the Formula One drivers use cycling as well as cross-training and as Valtteri Bottas being one of them, of course, he's now with Tiffany Cromwell as well. So it was strange when I went into the world of Formula One, how the worlds collide. And of course, some of the tracks as well have been used as um, some of the Formula One tracks have been used as cycling um, roads in the past in races too. So it's a fun, it's a funny mix because it's very different sport from the Formula One paddock being the height of luxury and exclusivity and you know the red carpet and the the red rope is out. It's you know it's so exclusive. And then a cycling uh, team parking is sort of. I mean, previously before COVID was so so much of a free-for-all. Um, so very different worlds, but ones in which you can certainly draw parallels and ones in which I've absolutely love. 
working in. Now, one of the deals as, as a viewer with Drive to Survive seems to be that they have a lot of access to a lot of teens and they sort of report on both the bad and the good. It's not just pure advertising. Um, how does that work with the Formula One teams? Are they all positive about it? They are. They are now. I think when um, the series first was announced, it's its inception in um, 2018, Mercedes and Ferrari quite famously did not take part. The two biggest teams at the time, the two teams um, who were who were winning the most races, they didn't take part. And I think they obviously wanted to see exactly what was going to happen and what went on. What that allowed Drive to Survive to do was to tell the stories, like you said um, at the start, of the lesser known drivers, the likes of Pierre Gasly, the likes of Lando Norris, and bring forward these characters who've become absolute fan favorites. Uh, because what Drive to Survive is, it's it's storytelling and it's a look behind the curtain. It's not a season review. So it's not speaking to Lewis Hamilton after winning his sixth and seventh world championship. It is a look at everything else that goes on around the overarching narrative of sport. The teams now, um, they joke around with Netflix. I mean, um, for those who read my <laughs> my article will note the introduction. You'll see when you read it. Um, but it was it's a it's phrase, it's uh yeah, quoting a very famous Daniel Ricardo quote from the series. Basically, Daniel Ricardo, whenever he saw the Netflix cameras, would try his utmost to make the footage unusable. Uh, and so he used um well, you'll read the, he said, Netflix are a real bunch of, uh, and you can fill in the blanks with, um, you know, the the word that you, you can imagine. And he said, I bet you'll never use that. And they did. And that was the opening of the trailer for season two. Uh, and they obviously had to check with Netflix that they didn't mind, that that was what was said. But it for me, that was an indication of how much Netflix, even by season two, had become a part of the furniture and very much omnipresent within the paddock. I mean, that boom mic, that they just put over your head and it just drops down to listen into the conversations. It's everywhere. Uh, and the teams know, they know the game, they know the score and they know what it's doing for the sport. So while I'm sure there are issues behind the scenes, they all have to iron out. I think now the Netflix, well, the, the box to box crew who produced this, the series for Netflix are very much welcomed and a part of paddock life. Do you think it's going to be the same in cycling, which traditionally has not been the most open of sports, has it? I really hope so, because what we've seen from Drive to Survive, and I think I, I say it in the piece, we can't look at Drive to Survive as the absolute answer to Formula One's problems. There are sort of many different factors that have contributed to the growth of Formula One. But what is clear now is that Formula One and its fan base has never been more diverse. It's never been bigger and it's never been more global. And for any sport, that has to be the absolute goal that a growing fan base, a younger fan base as well, they're your future, the younger fans coming through. That has to be the end goal for a sport to continue to grow. And certainly in post-COVID world and in you know the, the world as it is now, it's, you know, especially cycling, it, it feels like we're on this sort of knife edge with sport so much of the time and business models and sponsors and teams surviving. I think cycling has to open its doors in, in this manner to allow it to grow. That's that's my viewpoint. And I think Drive to Survive demonstrated in Formula One that what is possible. And I really hope that cycling has, in, obviously I've not seen the footage and I don't know, but I really hope it has embrace this opportunity that the teams have allowed as much access as they possibly can to the good the bad and the ugly because that's what makes great television 
And that's what makes people come back for more. That's what makes people fall in love with the characters of the sport. And that will drive a bigger and more diverse fan base as well. So I very much hope that cycling has. I hope it will continue to do so. I hope that the series is a, is a success and obviously continues um, beyond just the one year. Uh, you know, Drive to Survive is the only repeat sports series, which is which is crazy when you think about it. It's so unique in that sense. And I hope that we can see that with, with the Tour de France, that we'll continue to, to show the progress of it year on year because we, we all know within cycling, it's the most extraordinary sports event. It's 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 one of the biggest sports events in the world. It's one of the most complex in terms of an average, a casual viewer just tuning in, thinking, well, that bloke's up the road, but but he's not going to win. And wait, that guy's just won the stage, but he's not leading overall. You know, the very basics of the Tour de France are still complicated for those who don't know. And it's about telling those stories behind it and hopefully therefore telling the story of the race in a human way that people will really engage with. And do you think it might make stars of some of the lesser known names of the peloton in the, in the same way it has perhaps with you know someone like Daniel Ricciardo in, in Formula One? Yeah, Daniel Ricciardo became the sort of poster boy of, of Drive to Survive and, and really I think that drove his fan base. And I, I really, I really hope so. And I think it is possible. Um, I, I spoke to some of the riders in writing the piece and I spoke to Max Shackman and he said, that we aren't very nice people two weeks into a grand tour. So I don't know how people are going to respond to us. I don't know how, what we're, what we're demonstrating and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but actually that's, that's exactly it. It's, it's human beings being vulnerable, being open. I mean, some of the best moments in drive to survive are when you see the drivers upset, angry, you see real raw human vulnerable emotion. That's, that's what draws people in. That's what we relate to. People relate to people in that sense. And equally, I hopefully will get to see some of the more humorous moments of the tour. I think like with Formula One and cycling, you have a driver and a rider, helmet on, visor down, sunglasses down, all in the same team kit, head down on a bike, head down in a car. You don't get to see facial expression. You don't get to engage with that person when they're doing that sport so much, more so in cycling, obviously. But what hopefully we'll see is helmet, sunglasses off, team kit off. You'll see a more relaxed rider who will be able to be themselves around the cameras and, and show a bit of personality. And, and personality is, is key. People fall in love with people. People love to love people and people love to hate people as well. And, you know, hopefully we'll get a few of those characters within the Tour de France come through. Yeah, I'm not sure whether they're able to do this in the Netflix series. One of the really striking things about the Tour de France fam uh, this year was that for the first time, I think, we got to hear the radio conversations between the cars and the riders, which really made the difference. I have been, since I worked in Formula One in 2019, was my first race, and then 2020, sort of behind the scenes with COVID, I've been saying this, that team radio in Formula One Firstly, creates amazing content that is that is used and reused online. Um, they have genuine YouTube clips after each race, best of race radio. People absolutely love race radio. And it tells the story of the race behind the race. It's where you get the most information from, from the driver. You can hear about the puncture before you see it happening. You, you are one step ahead when you're listening to race radio. And you feel like you're within the race as well. And I was watching Tour de France fan and I thought that is exactly what cycling needs. And I understand there are concerns that if they hear a race radio 
of wanting planning or um or starting to do a certain thing it could change the nature of the race but you can you can you can work that with with delaying the race radio with with using it cleverly tactically to not allow it to shape the tactics of the race but to enhance the viewer experience of that race and i i think it worked so brilliantly with tour de france fam and i think if the technical capabilities are there which they which they clearly are then absolutely we we have to go for this. I think I've always said that team car footage is something that really opens up a race and it will, because people, an average, a casual viewer will just see a group of cyclists and a long convoy behind of cars. And, and so often people, my friends who dip into a tour stage with me will say, what, what on earth are all those cars? Who are they? Nobody, you know, when you're in cycling, you think, well, obviously it's, it's the, the, you know, the DSs and it's the mechanics and, but people who aren't in it just don't don't know and don't get it. And so if you show, if you open up that world as well and show firstly the teamwork, I think a lot of the riders I spoke to said, hopefully it will show that cycling is a team sport and it's not just about one man in the yellow jersey or the winner of one race. It is about an entire collective team effort in which every rider is playing a very distinct and unique and important part to ensure a victory. And that's why you see a guy at the back of the peloton with his arms in the air when one at the front has got his arms in the air because it's all about that team effort. And a, you know, one man's win is, is a team's win in the Tour de France. If you go into the team car, it will demonstrate that exactly, that you'll hear the calls that are made on the radio and it'll open up the world and it'll hopefully show the nuances and complexities that are that are, that makes make cycling, I think, unique and endearing and exciting and a beautiful sport but equally we've got to make that accessible as well okay thank you laura looking forward to the series also looking forward i think to seeing you on the stage at ruler live this year yeah i will be back um i wouldn't miss a ruler i absolutely love them it's like one big huge cycling party i think it's sort of billed as um you know the best bike shop in the world staffed by the sports legends. I'm not calling myself a legend to be very clear, but I'm looking forward to talking to some legends there. Um, and I can't wait to see you either as well. It's going to be, yeah, a great few days. Great. See you then. Thank you. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. 
ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.